we have great technology in this country to know that when we order a pizza, from the time we order it to the time it hits the oven to the time it gets to your door, <laughs> we know where that pizza is. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to track a ballot the same way. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. If you've been paying attention to the news, which I know if you listen to this show, you have been, you understand that our voting rights are under attack all over this country. Just leading up to today's elections, Ohio Republicans quietly purged 27,000 voters from its rolls after the August election, knowing abortion rights were on the ballot and that the majority of Ohio voters wanted to protect those rights. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, with his majority on the line, is now in hot water after purging 3,400 voters ahead of these elections, after saying they'd made a mistake and purged 270 voters, but it turned out to be 10 times more. And while 3,400 might not sound like a lot of people, it's important to remember that some of these Virginia districts were won or lost by less than 100 votes. Some candidates won the last election by one or two votes. So removing over 3,000 registered and totally legal voters feels like a strategy rather than a mistake. And that's it, really. It is a strategy. It's been a strategy for years to use these tactics to win without winning, and we have to see it for what it is and fight back. To talk about the importance of election security, election integrity, and what we can do about election interference, I'm joined today by Nevada's Secretary of State, Francisco, known as Cisco Aguilar. Cisco was elected in the 2022 midterms after running against a very vocal election denier and will serve four years and hopefully two terms in charge of the safety and security of Nevada's elections. Prior to being elected, Secretary Aguilar spent eight years on the Nevada Athletic Commission, worked as legal counsel for Nevada's higher education chancellor, and served 12 years as general counsel for Agassi Graf, the management company run by the married tennis stars Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Nevada's Secretary of State, Cisco Aguilar. Welcome, Cisco. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I mean, I've been watching what's been going on around the country. So it is understandable that people are feeling concerned about our elections and our right to vote. So I'm really pleased that you've come here to talk to me about it. Thank you. Look, it's a great honor to serve in this role. Nevada has a special place, I think, in upcoming presidential election. And we take that role very seriously. And so we're excited about the opportunity and the voice that we get to have on a national stage. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so people know you were elected in 2022 in the midterms after defeating a full-blown election denier who was campaigning on scrapping all the voting machines. And he claimed that every Nevada winner since 2006 had been installed by some deep state cabal. So I guess right off the top, we have to thank you for saving Nevada and honestly, the rest of us from that. No, look, it was when I decided to run for this office, nobody came out and recruited me, but I knew the impact we were going to have. You know, I've had the opportunity to build a high school in one of our most vulnerable neighborhoods, and it's 86% Latino, 10% Black. And on election day in 2020, I was talking to them about election day and asking whether or not their parents had voted. And their response killed me. They said, no, our parents did not vote. One, they don't believe their voice matters. Two, people don't want them to vote. And what is it really going to change? Yeah. And it just killed me from an inside. And I thought, this is unacceptable. If we're going to change the future of our country, we're going to change Nevada. It's exactly these parents that we need to have to vote. Nevada is one of the most diverse states in the country. 
from an ethnic perspective, from a workforce perspective, from a geographical perspective, but also environmental. And if we're going to make a priority, the issues we care about, we need to ensure people have access to the ballot box. Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I got involved in this project in the first place was because pretty much everyone around me didn't really care. They were like, Lee, it doesn't matter. I was all upset about the second Obama midterms and how we'd lost the Senate. And they looked at me like I was bananas. And I was like wasting my time thinking about these silly things that no one cared about. And then we sort of see what's happened after that. So I thought, you know what? It's not that people don't care. It's that they don't understand and they don't have the time or the bandwidth to try and understand. And that's kind of the job of those of us who passionately care about this to kind of inform our people and take charge of our people. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I think I thought the 2022 election might be the end of all this election conspiracy stuff. You know, like Trump had lost all his court cases. We'd had the January 6th committee. Almost every election denier was soundly defeated across the country. But it kind of seems like it's still carrying on. You know, like even right now with Trump's inner circle, like his lawyers and his chief of staff flipping and admitting they all lied that it wasn't a rigged election, we are still hearing about it. And now the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, was a leading voice in overturning the electoral votes in a lot of states. And as far as I know to this day, he's never even admitted that Joe Biden is the rightful president. And that's kind of where we are now. And that is a tough place for people to be sitting. It is. And that we just have to work extremely hard to ensure that we continue to win these races and expose people for who they are. When the Speaker was elected, you know, a rock sunk in my stomach because I It was like, oh, man, here we are. We've been through this experience as a country, and now we just elevated somebody who was at the forefront of it all. It makes my job, it makes the job of other secretaries of states harder, especially those secretaries in battleground states where we're going to fight every day to ensure that access exists. Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, I guess the goal of undermining the elections and our faith in the institutions It continues to be incredibly well-funded by these kind of anti-democratic forces who are sort of playing a long game. These are people who don't really want to live in a democracy because it no longer uh, works for them. They realize they don't have the will of the people anymore, so they're trying to make a different way of doing it. So they continue to undermine our democracy until maybe people don't believe in it anymore. So it's not one deliberate action. It's kind of a death by a thousand cuts, right? And it's also too, you know, it's failing to recognize that our country is continually evolving. And our country is changing. And there are new voices in leadership roles. There are new demographics. You know, look, being the first Latino elected to Secretary of State in Nevada, I know I have a responsibility to ensure that I'm representing my community. My parents weren't well-educated, but they still deserve to have a voice. They're hardworking people. And Nevada, Las Vegas would not exist if it wasn't for our immigrant community. And so it's my responsibility to make sure that we continue to elevate those voices Because the more engaged we are with our community, the better off we're going to be as a state. Oh, 100%. Better off we'll be as a country. I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that there's people who think that people like your parents don't have the same uh, worth in America. And they want to make sure certain people get a voice and the rest of us are kind of silenced. I mean, as I was saying in the introduction, there's so much shady and underhanded behavior going on right now around the right to vote, you know, from blatantly ignoring the Voting Rights Act in places like Alabama and Florida, which would have honestly gone unchallenged without lawyers like Mark Elias to hold these states accountable. We've seen voter purges in places like Georgia and Texas and now Virginia and Ohio right before their own elections. And of course, gerrymandering, right? It's clearly a massive problem for democracy in this country, as is this continued election denial that we were just talking about that goes all the way 
way up to our top of our political spectrum. So as a secretary of state, what do you say to people who are wondering if they can even still trust the system? Absolutely. Look, Nevada has some of the best run secure elections in the entire country. We also have some of the most progressive access to the ballot box policies. We have two weeks of early voting. We have universal mail ballot. We have same day voter registration. We have automatic voter registration. We expanded our digital mobile voting to our native communities who necessarily don't have access to a poll or have to drive two hours just to exercise our fundamental right to vote. So we have some really, really strong policies to give people the opportunity to exercise their fundamental right to vote. And so I'm at the forefront of trying to protect those policies to ensure that we're engaging as many citizens across this big state. But again, it's making sure that their votes are counted and that they're actually part of the process. And we are investing as a state, and it was a bipartisan initiative. The governor recommended this budget request of $30 million to build a voter management system so we can bring transparency to the process and we can see it every time where an individual ballot is from the time it leaves the clerk's office to the time it gets to the postal station to the time it gets on a postal truck to when it's delivered in a mailbox and vice versa. This transparency is going to ensure that everybody who votes gets their vote counted. That is not a Democratic or Republican issue. That is a democracy issue. And I call it the pizza tracker because we have great technology in this country to know that when we order a pizza, From the time we order it to the time it hits the oven to the time it gets to your door, (laughs) we know where that pizza is. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to track a ballot the same way. But when you talk about secure elections and access to the ballot box, it comes down to people. We have to protect the people that are making sure elections work. We have to protect the poll workers who are volunteering their time to work the polls. They should not feel intimidated. They should not be harassed and they should not, they should be proud to do what they're doing. And we should make sure that exists in a safe environment. We passed legislation here in Nevada, SB 406, that passed both houses of our legislature on a unanimous vote with the signature of our Republican governor because they understood that elections don't work unless we have the people. Absolutely. I mean, speaking of Mark Elias, we just had him on the show uh, and he was saying that if the 2020 election was all about undermining mail-in voting, the plan for 2024 is election vigilantism, which which is what you're talking about, about protecting these people who are in there trying to help out the system. You know, like when we talk about election vigilantism, if you guys didn't hear the episode with Mark Elias, it's the kind of behavior where you're threatening people at the polls, like MAGA was using armed vigilantes at drop boxes in Arizona at the last election. Or you have individuals who are challenging votes after they've been cast and making life just impossible difficult for election workers and then for secretaries of state like yourself by calling into question as many votes that were legally done, many votes as possible in order to undermine the results and again, throw into doubt our whole faith in the system. So I I think it's wonderful that Nevada is doing such a great job. I mean, clearly voting has changed a lot in Nevada in the past years, you know, with the Democratic controlled legislature making changes, you know, including stuff like mail in ballots going to every voter. And I love your pizza tracker analogy. Like we all (laughs) wish we could have that kind of quality, you know, we want your vote to count. We want you to be here. We want to make it accessible. I wish we could all have what Nevada has. What do you plan to do with this kind of election vigilantism behavior? Because I know one of the things you said coming into office was to try and make it a felony to harass election workers and volunteers, which feels like a no-brainer for the legislature to pass. But have you been able to do that or have you been getting pushback from people who benefit from this kind of vigilante behavior? 
Well, that was the point of SB 406 is our election protection bill. And that did pass. That Amazing. was the bill I discussed earlier. It is a felony to harass or intimidate election workers and poll workers in Nevada. So my role now has been to go meet with law enforcement to talk about the purpose of the legislation, make sure they have a process, and also, too, to work with them on training to ensure what we don't want is an over-response from law enforcement. We don't want a large presence at, law, at polling sites, right? There's, a, there's no. a balance there. But we also want to make sure our new system, which I talked about that we're implementing, will give me direct communication with a poll worker on any site before when an issue was arising on a polling location. They would have to get out of their seat, pick up a phone, call the election center and say, hey, we got to have a situation, which just elevates the situation even more. With this new system, I will be able to directly communicate with that poll worker through that system without them having to get up out of their chair. Or they can send a message to the election center and say, hey, we have a potential situation. We can then work quietly behind the scenes to make sure we're resolving it in a way that makes keeps the environment at a normal level. It doesn't elevate in any way, which then causes a scene, causes chaos, which that person wants to do. They want to create chaos wherever they can go because it's going to tell people don't come here. And that's exactly what we don't want. So it's making sure we have the tools and the systems and the technology to be able to do what the law gives us the opportunity to do, but also do it in a way that we don't have to get to the law to be able to protect these election workers. Yeah, that's very smart because we all know that the police are not necessarily the right person to call in every situation. There are, you know, once you add the police into situations, it can often exacerbate or make something worse. So to have a system set up like that is very smart because as you're saying, people that are partaking in this kind of election vigilantism, they are looking to cause trouble in the system. They are looking to make it more chaotic. So doubt is what they're trying to do. I mean, I, I just want people to have a background on what we're talking about. Like, Look at what's going on in Virginia, okay? The conservative activists in Virginia are trying to recruit supporters to serve as what are called poll watchers and to serve as election workers in state races. They're calling it the Virginia model, which was used successfully in 2021 when Glenn Youngkin was elected governor. And they're focusing on what they call election integrity, right? Which is, it's a very performative name. But the jo- <laughs> the goal is to intimidate election workers, to question voters and ballot machines, and be kind of performatively hypervigilant about any potential fraud that might happen. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the death by a thousand cuts, right? Where these overly aggressive poll workers and poll watchers are able to kind of disrupt the voting in all these different ways. So they end up interfering in the results just enough to uh, disenfranchise voters and then win the election. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. Look at the people who were just purged from the Ohio voting rolls between the summer election in August and this November election coming up. Look what Governor Youngkin tried to do in Virginia and would have gotten away with if Democratic state legislators hadn't called him on it and called the DOJ for an investigation into his actions. Look at the law passed in Georgia in 2021, making it way easier for partisan vigilantes to engage in what they call mass challenges. You know, thanks to that law, Almost 100,000 Georgia voters had their registration, so their right to vote, challenged by these outside individuals. So we have to be really careful because it's going on in every state. All these little kind of death by a thousand cuts to just take your vote away, question your vote, make sure you don't vote. And I think that's why we have to be careful about looking at secretaries of state who aren't doing what you're doing. Right. It's also, too, having a strong legal team, right? Right now, I'm being sued 
over that election protection bill because certain individuals are claiming that it's in violation of their First Amendment fundamental right. I don't know where the First Amendment grants somebody the opportunity to harass and intimidate someone, especially when they're doing their duty as a good citizen to make sure we have a democracy. So it was filed in federal court. The federal judge dismissed the case, but the individuals have gotten back together and they're going to refile. So it's also too unfortunate that these individuals are using lawsuits to communicate a message. And so we have to be better prepared to make sure we have the legal teams and we have that legal fight ready to go. We have to pretend, we have to get strategic about our response. We can no longer wait and see. We cannot be reactive anymore. We need to be strategic and we need to outsmart these efforts, but be better prepared. Oh, Cisco, I can't agree with you anymore. I mean, I keep going back to the word strategic because what the people who don't want us voting are doing, all the tactics they set up to stop certain people from voting are strategic tactics. It's why ID laws, you know, some places you can use your gun license, but not your student ID. It's why, you know, uh, Texas, the House, they passed a bill that would abolish the election administrator in just Harris County, which was the most populous, but also the most black um, county to strip that county's ability to run their own elections. These are all strategic choices. Look what happened to Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. Like, how is that not a deterrent to being an election worker at all? Most of these jobs that people do are volunteer positions. Why would you want to put yourself through that when you saw what happened to those women? And it's it's kind of the point. It's all part of a strategy. If you can get the elections to run less efficiently or make them miserable to be a part of, then less people are going to want to vote. Less people are going to wait around. And if they do vote, then understaffing the polls only allows people who are working in bad faith to question if the polls were even, you know, legally done or legally organized. It's all strategic. So you're so right that we have to be just as strategic on our end. Know they're going to have lawsuits. Know they're going to have poll watchers. Know they're going to do this so we can counter it before it even happens. It's brilliant. And one thing we have to get smart about and this is what keeps me awake at night, is making sure we're building a pipeline of talent to work and run elections. We have a shortage of election talents. Everybody wants to invest in the immediate outcome, but I am pleading with donors, I am pleading with people who understand what elections mean, to start to build a pipeline of the talent to be the next county clerk, to be the next elections deputy for the next secretary of state. It's interesting. In this, I'm a lawyer, and going to law school, I understood the meaning of a clinic within the law school. Those clinics give you that practical experience. So when you graduate, you're ready to go. We have one election law clinic in this entire country, and that is at Harvard. East Coast and West Coast elections are very different. We need an elections clinic on the West Coast to develop that future talent. But it's hard to get people to understand what a long-term investment is when they want to see immediate outcomes. And if we don't start to develop these future talents, our democracy is at risk because we're not going to have the talent to stand up and say, this is the law. This is how an election is to be run. This is the responsibility of an elections administrator. And that is what keeps me up at night. I know we struggle with it in Nevada to make sure 11 of our 17 clerks across the state are new to that position because the previous (laughs) clerk was done. They retired. Their families were no longer able to tolerate the pressure and the harassment that they were getting, which I totally understand. But again, it's my responsibility as an elections leader to figure out how do we solve this problem, not for tomorrow or on Wednesday, 
It's talking about how do we make sure when I leave this office that there is strong talent and there is a pipeline that's going to be able to fill those gaps. Long-term thinking, we need to do it all the time. And if we need people to understand the importance of long-term thinking, we need to look no further than, say, the Supreme Court, right? Like that is a long-term plan (laughs) by the Federalist Society to make that court the way they wanted and overturn laws they did not like. And that's a 40 to 50-year plan. We need to think like that. We need to say we need to have backbenches after backbenches of people prepared to stand up for democracy. And that's why we need secretaries of state like you. I mean, I said this when we had Jocelyn Benson on the show, who, for people who don't know her, is the secretary of state of Michigan. Who's my hero? (laughs) I know she's my hero too. And we had her on the show and I said to her, you know, the state secretary of state is one of this like traditionally underappreciated role, but we're starting to see what an important job you guys have to play in the health of our democracy. And I know that right now you guys are even working together on a project. So what are you working together to have multiple secretaries of state getting together and trying to figure something out? Can you tell me a little bit about this project that you guys are working on? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I was just in Wisconsin over the weekend and I can tell you winter is here, which means struggling to find the right temperature while you sleep. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you're one of those people who wakes up too hot or too cold, then I recommend you check out Miracle Made bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics to make temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. The silver infused sheets are not only thermoregulating, but prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. Plus, Miracle sheets are just really nice, super high quality without that super high price. But go and see for yourself. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try it today or gift it to someone this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% off by using the promo code politicsgirl at checkout, and you'll also get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a heck of a deal. And Miracle is so confident in their product that it's backed with 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, then you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your three free towels and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. Okay, so when I'm working, which is all the time, it's difficult to keep eating healthy. As I've said before, I often start the day with a coffee, then forget lunch, which leads me to panic eat whatever's available around four. This is not ideal, and the cereal or gummies I find myself eating certainly is not feeding my brain, which is why I'm excited about mosh bars. Now, I've been very clear in the past that I am not a protein bar person. It's always been a texture thing for me, so they have not been an option. I recognize that they're good for people who are on the go, but I didn't like them, so I didn't eat them. And then I tried Mosh. Mosh is a protein bar made for your brain. It supports brain health with ingredients like lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s, but it also has 12 grams of protein and only 160 calories with one gram of sugar. So if you're busy, but your body needs fuel, nourish it with a guilt-free snack of Mosh protein bars. Mosh even has a new line of plant-powered protein bars in three delicious flavors for those of you who want all the protein and brain support of the original bars, but with plant-based ingredients. Mosh bars were founded by Patrick Schwarzenegger and his mother, Maria Shriver, who are on a mission to make a difference and are donating a portion of all the proceeds from Mosh bars to support brain research at the Women's Alzheimer's Movement at the Cleveland Clinic. Mosh protein bars were formulated by some of the top neuroscientists and functional nutritionists to help benefit the research of some of those same people. 
So don't settle for mediocre snacks when you can nourish your body and your mind with fuel it needs to succeed. So whether you're on the go, at the gym, or just living your best life, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain and body fit, fueled, and feeling good. Head to moshlife.com slash politicsgirl to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all of their delicious flavors. My personal favorite is the lemon white chocolate. That's M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash politics girl. Did you know poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Did you know that sleeping less than six to seven hours a night is linked to reduced white blood cell count and that your white blood cells fight viruses and bacteria and protect your body against illness and disease? So sleep really is the foundation of our mental and physical health which is why having a consistent nighttime routine is non-negotiable. My husband has been using Dream Powder for almost two months now, which is why we can sincerely rave about it. Beam Dream Powder is Beam's best-selling hot cocoa for sleep. It contains an all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. In fact, a recent clinical study showed that Dream helped 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed, and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. You just mix Bean Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and drink at bedtime. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Bean Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, and white chocolate peppermint. Find out why Forbes and the New York Times are talking about Bean and why it is trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Bean's best-selling dream powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com beat. The discount is applied at checkout, no code necessary. That's shopbeam.com slash beat, B-E-A-T, for up to 50% off. Beam Dream. Better sleep has never tasted better. I love that Real Paper is a sponsor of the Politics Girl podcast. Did you know that we cut down tens of thousands of trees every day just to supply America with toilet paper? That's brutal. And it's not like toilet paper can be recycled or reused, so it's just going straight into our water system. Real Paper, on the other hand, is 100% bamboo. So they're making their toilet paper from a plant that grows incredibly fast and can be harvested and regenerated, like grass on a lawn. It doesn't impact entire ecosystems of forests. And real paper is the best kind of eco-friendly because it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing something to help the earth. In fact, it might feel like an upgrade. Real paper is shipped straight to your door in plastic-free packaging, and you can schedule a subscription so it comes exactly when you need it, and you never have to worry about forgetting it or lugging it home from the store. Real Paper also partnered with One Tree Planted, so every box of real that you buy helps fund reforestation efforts. While your regular toilet paper cuts down trees, Real Paper is actively helping to replant them. Honestly, I love this product. I like the individual paper wrapping. I like the quality. I don't even miss my squishy aloe TP that I was addicted to before. Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for a one-time purchase on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash politicsgirl and sign up for a subscription by using my code politicsgirl at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R 
com slash politicsgirl or enter the promo code politicsgirl to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Let's make a change for good this year and switch to real paper. Real. It's paper for the planet. Can you tell me a little bit about this project that you guys are working on? Yes, it goes back to what I discussed about being strategic. We can no longer be reactive. You know, the battleground secretaries, it's Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia. We have to be prepared to be able to respond or be able to reach the audience first before the disinformation hits the public. We have to be able to have a game plan. We have to be able to have a machine that's able to respond immediately or inform before it becomes, you know, national news. And so we're working together really to build that strategy, to build that infrastructure, to build that machine, to be able to go out there and say, this is actually what's occurring in our battleground states. The job of a battleground secretary is very different from secretaries who are red or blue, right? Because these states are going to hold the future of the office of the president. And if we're not getting the information out there or being available to counter the bad information, we're not doing the service we need to be doing to voters across this country. And so we're building that cohesiveness now that when we, the issues do arise, also too, battleground secretaries are under immense pressure every day from their own states and from their own clerks. And so we need to balance this pressure that each of us has an opportunity to go address an issue. And it's not one secretary always doing it, but leveraging the ability of the the team to be able to say, okay, you got this one, I'll take this one. And that's making sure, again, we're being strategic about how we respond to these issues. That's amazing. So you're partnering together to shore up our actual faith in election systems, but also to start making these plans long-term to fight back against what's happening and kind of drive home the idea of election integrity so people can go into their elections with confidence, mm -hmm. knowing that the, there's people paying attention, that there's people that have it, that there's ways for people to fight back if their vote isn't counted. Um, because at the end of the day, voting should not be partisan, right? Like, no. like the goal that you and I are having this conversation, the goal isn't just to let Democrats vote and counter what the Republicans have been doing for years and sadly continue to do every day, but to fight to protect the voting rights of all voters, to give all voters faith in this system, whether they're Republicans or Democrats or independents. I mean, I keep saying, <laughs> that if you're a Republican and you think voter suppression or gerrymandering is working for you, it's not. And I say this yeah. all the time because when you empower leaders to ignore the will of the voters, at first it might seem like, great, you know, <laughs> we're ignoring all these voters that I hate, right? But at the end of the day, you are one of the voters. And if you give these people who would marginalize voices and votes enough power, eventually they're not going to listen to you either. Like it right. never serves you to silence voices because eventually your voice will be silenced as well. And also too, in Nevada, the largest number of registered voters are nonpartisan. And so exactly. in order, that group of voters is going to determine the outcome of elections. And if they're not able to participate, we're going to see a huge block and a huge group of voices that it's not going to be heard. And we're not going to be the democracy we want. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier this this district you have in Nevada that's like 86 percent Latino, you know, and going and talking to these people and the, the general feeling being that their votes didn't count or people didn't want them to vote. And that's just 
terrible and clearly something we need to address. I mean, the goal I imagine for you and for other secretaries of state that care about democracy is to encourage people to participate in the electoral process. And that includes people who are traditionally underrepresented, right? But we also have to figure out as Democrats, how we communicate to these voters. We have to talk about the issues they care mm -hmm. about and that directly impact their lives every day. It was like when I started this election process and we went through a long election period, I called my mom up and I said, hey, we're fighting. She goes, how are things going? And I said, they're going great. We're fighting for democracy. And she goes, what does that mean? And I was like, you know, that's oh, true. Maybe. When you're knocking on a door of a voter, when you talk about democracy, when they're fighting to put food on their table, they want to know what you're going to do to help get their kids educated, what you're going to help them do to have a great paying job, and how you're going to keep their community safe. And right. so if you can't talk about those kitchen table issues, we have to do a better job of talking about why the votes matter and why that specific vote matters to those individuals' life. Absolutely. Uh, we talk about that all the time, actually. We had um, Alyssa Slotkin on the show, and she was saying the same thing. She was like, when we talk about big concept issues like democracy or bodily autonomy, people get a little like, Meh. and I was saying to her, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, bodily autonomy, the right to an abortion, I feel like that is such a kitchen table issue. I feel like that's such an economic issue because what's more economic than how many people you have at your kitchen table or if you can afford to have a child or if you can afford to have a sick child or if you can, like, this is a kitchen table issue, but it's about how we talk about it. It's about making sure we say we want to talk about education being more affordable or we want to talk about better schools in our neighborhoods, these kind of things that will build up a community. We can talk about that in the concept of if that's what you want, you need your votes to count, which is why we want democracy to count because you want schooling, you want education, you want better jobs, you want a higher minimum wage. We need to hear you say that. And your voice is heard through democracy. And I think there's a way to explain it to people that feels um, engaging to them. It's, it's the same reason that we want young voters to come out and have their voices heard because it's their future we're currently messing up, right? Like, And they do care about climate change and they do care about the right to their own bodies and they want affordable homes and education and they want good paying jobs that allow them to have a life like their parents or grandparents had before and right now is completely out of reach for them, right? Like on the whole, young people don't tend to be hateful bigots looking to punish people who don't conform to their particular way of life. So we need to make sure we are speaking to them and working for them and helping them and encourage them to vote so that they know that if they come out to vote, we're going to address those issues that they care about. And I'm sure it's exactly the same with underrepresented communities like Latino communities in America. We have to speak to them, talk to them, make sure we are understanding what their issues are in the same context of protecting democracy, protecting bodily autonomy, all those kind of things, but in a way that people can understand and feels honest to them. Because those groups are going to flip races. And especially in think? battleground states. It's a small number of individuals that can change the outcome of any statewide race or any local race. And so we have to understand that power of a small group of voters at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. That's why Republicans keep getting rid of small groups of voters from voting because they know how important those people can be. I mean, I think the overall objective is to keep inspiring our citizens to engage in democracy, to have their voice heard, to know that it matters. Like no one would be trying to take away your vote so much if it didn't count, right? We need at the end of the day to be democracy something that they can not only be a part of, but something that they actually believe in because we need the voters to show up 
to keep showing up if we want to save democracy. And so we need to have them know that at the end of the day, we have their back, right? The ultimate right. ambition would be to come out of this horrible time we're currently living in with a stronger rather than a weaker democracy. So I love the idea that you are thinking long-term now, that it's about how can we be less reactive and more proactive? And especially when it comes to young voter, right? Nobody goes, grows up, goes through high school, goes to college and says, you know, I want to be in the election space. But I think younger generations are now looking for mission, purpose-driven opportunities and careers. And elections is a space where we can start to really recruit those young individuals to become those future leaders. But we have to start giving them access to those learning opportunities because the world has changed completely in the election space. And if we don't start looking at these opportunities to get them into it, we're going to be stuck in about 10 years. I agree. I always say if we could just make politics cool, it would be awesome. If people came in, if we had the top people coming out of high school being like, you know what? I want to be a state controller, right? Like that would be amazing because we would have so many engaged young people who really knew how the system worked. That's why I'm so passionate about adding civics back to school, American civics, you know? So people know how the system works. They understand how it works. They understand where their voice can be heard. And then they maybe want to be a part of it. And then we could have way more people in government uh, that actually cared about the system of government. I think that would be wonderful. You know, we could have all the technology in the world, all the funding in the world, but if we don't have the people, we're not going to have the elections we want and deserves as American citizens. So this comes down to respecting and understanding that election workers and poll workers are the unsung heroes of democracy, and we need to elevate them to that role and that status. So thank you for having uh -huh. me. It's been awesome. I appreciate the chat. Oh my God, thank you for coming. I, like, I love that you aren't here to get money for your campaign or to service yourself. You're here <laughs> in service to democracy. And I can't tell you how grateful I am that there are people like you out there on the front lines protecting our country and our rights. So listen, tell people how they can support your work and ultimately support your reelection in 2026 because we want you to have another term. Thank you. I appreciate that because that is a big role yeah. of being in elected office. But if people go to CiscoNV.com, that's Cisco, C-I-S-C-O, N-V as in Nevada.com. Amazing. And you can follow Cisco's work there and like help him build this backbench of young people and election workers who can really help sort of shore up our democracy until we can pull it together here and create a whole future where we can really believe in democracy again. Thanks for coming, Cisco. Thank you. So that was Cisco Aguilar, encouraging us to stop being reactive and start getting prepared. The Republicans have had a strategy to chip away at democracy for decades. We need to have one to strengthen it. We need to build a pipeline of talent to work and run elections, to develop a bench and use long-term thinking to protect our votes and our rights. We can't keep going into these elections blind and trying to do damage control when things go awry. We have to be prepared and stand up for democracy before, during, and after the elections. I wanna thank Cisco for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now, if you can vote today, vote. And if you can't, maybe call someone who can and remind them to vote. At the end of the day, we need every single one of us to keep this democracy going. I believe in us. Until next week, PGF. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.